I'm Jimmy Evans, and this is the Marriage Day Podcast. On this season of the podcast, we're highlighting one of my favorite teaching series. Marriage on the Rock was first printed in 1994 and has helped millions of couples since. In Marriage on the Rock, we cover what it takes to have a successful biblical marriage. In today's episode, I'm talking about destructive husbands and wives. Enjoy this teaching. I believe there are four basic reasons why people become destructive, okay? Just, just basic, and the number one is ignorance. We just don't know any better. Hosea 4 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Karen and I got married at 19 years old. I met the pastor who married us the day he married us, and I had not a clue about marriage. Someone mentioned to me in, in the seminar here during one of the breaks, they said this should be required in every high school is to teach this information. Don't you agree with that? I'm, I'm, my gosh. You know, we teach math and science and all those things which are important, but we need to teach people how to succeed in relationships. But the truth is most of us, most people didn't come out of a happy home. Uh, in fact, many people came out of a broken home where there was a single parent there, and so they didn't see a marriage or they saw a failed marriage. Well, how do you succeed when you're, when you're trying to draw from ignorance? That's what Karen and I both did. I just... I was completely ignorant. In fact, I had a lot of misinformation and deception. The number one thing now that's gonna lead you to success is a teachable spirit. And I'm preaching to the choir because I'm just saying your presence in this seminar means you have a teachable spirit. Let me say another thing. It takes a lot to get to a seminar like this. I mean, you had to prepare for it. You had to plan for it. I know you had to say no to other things and you need to be proud of yourself that you got to this seminar. And, And I know you have a teachable spirit. So you just tell your friends that don't have a teachable spirit what I said, okay? <laughs> and but I'm gonna say something to the pastors now and because I know we have a lot of pastors watching. We have a lot of pastors in this, in this crowd here. And that is you need to require any person that you marry, they go through pre-marriage training. That you just tell them that you can use marriage on the rock. You can use our materials. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. But you tell them that you're going to have to go through some training and preparation before I'll marry you. We marry no one in my church. I will marry no one who hasn't gone through pre-marriage training because you're just cursing them. They're not going to succeed. Is so, but just reading a book or watching a set of tapes or something like that dramatically improves their sex, success of marriage. Let me say one other thing. Every couple needs a marriage mentor is when you get married, just an older couple who's been married for a while, that you have their number just in case something bad happens. And so ignorance is, I believe, the number one reason that so many people are failing today in marriage and are destructive. I've never met a couple who wanted to fail in marriage. That I've, I've never met anybody who just wanted to divorce. Is We get married because we want to be happy. But the Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. This area of, of marriage is something, of course, we're passionate about teaching uh, people, but just simple things that you can teach people can very profoundly affect their life. So here's, here's a commitment I'm asking you to make. Okay, just, just think about this. You're going to read at least one book on marriage together every year. On finances, on communication, on sex, on intimacy, on dealing with your emotions, that you'll never stop learning. I do not consider myself a marriage expert. I consider myself a marriage student. Because I have not arrived and I'm still learning about marriage. And we, you go through seasons of life. And so maybe I did, you know, get to a place in another season of our lives where, you know, I knew how to deal with that. But now there's other things going on. We're in a different season with aging parents and grandchildren and things like that. And so we're going to be continuing education students 
in the area of marriage. I'm not going to be ignorant, in other words. I'm going to be teachable and continue to learn. Number two thing that causes people to be destructive is past hurts. Now, I know in another session we talked about the issue of hurts, but let me talk about it again. Three, three categories of hurts, basic categories of hurts. Parent hurts. Uh, I think father pain is some of the worst pain that a person can experience. Even if you didn't have a father, it creates a lot of pain. That has to be dealt with now, or it'll affect your, your marriage. I, I want to say something that I want you to hear me about. It doesn't matter where the pain came from in your past. Your spouse will take the worst of it. It doesn't matter who you're mad at from your past. You're going to take it out on your spouse the most. Even if you're not mad at your spouse, they're, they're going to get the worst of it. So there's parent hurts. There's romantic hurts. And those romantic hurts can go back to the first and second grade. You know, it could be, you know, that you had a little boyfriend or girlfriend or something like that that broke your heart or something or a string of, of bad experiences as a young person. Rejection, betrayal, infidelity, hurtful words, divorce, abandonment, abuse, romantic hurts. And then the third is just life hurts, the things that life does to us. Uh, failure, serious illness, injury, financial problems, loss of loved ones, serious emotional or mental problems, things like that. And so when we become destructive, many times we're, we're, we have pain bottled up inside of us and we're not dealing with it properly. And here's what happens to unhealed hurts. First of all, it hinders intimacy. Intimacy means being close on the inside. You can't be intimate with a person that you can't know. Intimacy requires knowledge. It means unhindered access to that individual. I can know your thoughts. I can know your feelings. I can know your dreams. Is I have unhindered access. That's what makes intimacy. But when you have unhealed hurts inside of you, it means it's going to keep you. It's a breeding ground for fear and shame and all kinds of problems. And it's going to hinder intimacy uh, in your relationship. And it also causes extremes in the way that we deal with other people. If you had prior betrayal, you could be extremely jealous. If someone cheated on you before and you haven't dealt with that, it can cause extreme jealousy. If you had dominance in your past, again, it, it can either cause extreme passivity or extreme dominance in your present. Uh, verbal abuse can cause extremely low self-esteem. Let me talk about Karen for just a minute. I've never met a person with lower self-esteem than Karen when we met. And it was caused by wounds in her past, deep, deep wounds from her past. When Karen and I uh, met, I, I, th I think Karen is the most beautiful woman in the world, I always have. She's, she's always been gorgeous. Karen thought she was fat and ugly and God couldn't love her. Karen didn't believe that she could be saved. Is I had to tell Karen constantly, God loves you. And she'd say, I, I know God loves everybody else. He can't love me. When we met and, and we were together, of course, I had very high self-esteem, too high self-esteem. And uh, so, but Karen literally, she would stand behind me. We would go up to a crowd of people and I'd be introducing Karen and she'd always disappear and I'd reach back, pull her out. She's like spring loaded. I'd let go, she'd go back here again, you know. <laughs> and literally. And she just thought, I'm fat and ugly. She wasn't fat, she wasn't ugly. And, and God loved her, but she didn't believe any of that. And it really, it, it affected our relationship in a bad way for several reasons. One is because you know, she couldn't give me love in a normal way because she didn't love herself. And, uh, and the other thing is she couldn't receive love, regardless of how, because I always told Karen how beautiful she was, how much I loved her. She could never accept it. And she was obviously at an extreme, and I want to say something. Psalm 107.20 says that God sent his word to heal them and to deliver them from their destructions. 
Um, God sent his word to heal them. The word has power on its own. You read other books, the Bible reads you. Okay. I've never known a day in 40 years of being married to Karen that she hasn't woken up and read the Bible. And the Bible healed Karen. The Bible healed Karen. She, when she started reading the Bible, she would read it. Now, she could believe the condemnation scriptures in Leviticus. But she would re read the Psalms or read the book of John or something like that about God's love, and she couldn't believe that. But she read it every day anyway. And I watched the Word of God heal my wife. And the more she got healed, the higher self-esteem she had, and the more natural we could have a relationship where I could say, you know, I love you and you're beautiful, and she could receive that. And, and that she could give me love in return. And so when you, but she had extreme hurts. I had hurts from my past. I wanna, I wanna say another thing about unhealed hurts. They cause a distortion of reality where we don't see life the way that we really should. But I had the, all these things bottled up inside of me. Well, with Karen, I could not be intimate with her. I mean, and, and she would kept asking me, what's going on inside of you? And I would, I just, you know, would say, nothing's going on inside of me, Karen. Nothing. Why do you keep asking that? And she was asking because I was so weird, you know, in the way. It, and, and, but to me, I was just the most normal, nice guy in the world. And she just kept pushing my button and pushing my button. So the night we almost broke up is I came home. She said something to me and I said, get out of the house, get out of the house. I'm sick of this. And she had been praying for me. And you know, I read my Bible every morning, but I was, in, I was a jerk. And, um, that night she went into the bedroom crying. I told her to get out of the house. I was tired of this stuff, you know, but something was going on inside of me that God knew, but I didn't know. And that was that he was about to heal me. And what happened when Karen was in the bedroom crying is like scales fell off my eyes, literally like something fell off my eyes. And the next instant I saw myself as I really was. I mean, I just, I never had seen reality until that moment. And when God just took the blinders off my eyes, I thought, my gosh, am I a mess or what? I am a mess. And I went in and I apologized to Karen. That's when I hung my golf clubs up. That's when I repented to her for the way that I talked to her and all those things. But here, what I realized was this. I've been protecting shame and pain all of my life. And I'm tired of it. And that pain and that shame on the inside of me has ruined every relationship in my life. And it's about to ruin my marriage. And my reality was distorted. I thought Karen was the problem. I thought people were the problem. I, I was just ready for a fight. And vigilant, macho, but devastated on the inside. Here's, here's how to deal with your hurts of your past. You have to be honest. You just have to be honest and, and say, I'm hurt. It's hard sometimes for men. Sometimes it's hard for women. Women are better at it than men, I think. Because of, but what I thought is if I, ever, if, I ever, if I ever show her weakness, the world is gonna crumble. When I showed her weakness was when the world came together. My fear kept my hurt in the darkness and it kept my life distorted and dysfunctional. But when I finally began to admit to Karen, I, I'm, Karen, I'm hurting. And I'm ashamed of this, I'm ashamed. This is what, when I finally started talking to Karen, that's what she wanted to hear. She knew I was messed up, my gosh, you know. And she had heard some of the things that, uh, that happened to me when I was growing up. And that's why she kept saying, Jimmy, how did you feel about that? And I would just say, feel what? 
I don't care. I don't know what you're talking about. I remember, you know, I was telling you about my dad not coming to my games, and this is this is a silly thing. You know, it's not the worst thing. I'm, some of you have had much worse things happen than that. But I remember just looking on the sidelines for my dad, like kids would do. It wasn't there. You just deal with that. You know, you just you just go on. But it but it made me feel rejected and frustrated and hurt. And th- but I never dealt with it. It just I just stuffed it on the inside. I had to get to a place where my fears. The devil is the devil of darkness. Anything in darkness is under his domain. You can't kick the devil off of his own property, but you can shine the light and he has to leave. When your shame and pain is in the darkness, it is a breeding ground for the devil and he'll use it against you and he'll use it as a, a headquarters to, to, to devastate your relationships. But when you turn the light of God on it and just simply say, this is what happened. You don't say it to everybody, but you say it in the right places. So you have to admit your pain. The second thing, you have to take responsibility for your, for your actions. With Karen, I, I blamed it on Karen. I blamed it on everybody else. But I had to take responsibility for what I had done. Another thing is forgiveness. And I, I, I've talked about forgiveness, so I want to turn this a little different direction. You have to forgive everybody. You, forgiveness is the biggest issue of emotional healing. The biggest issue Another thing that causes people to be destructive is bad friends and negative influences. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. Your friends predict your future. Uh, adultery, divorce, addictions run in groups. Is that you'll find that, that when divorce happens, when adultery happens, when things like that happen, you find that there's a support system for it. When Karen and I became uh, Christians, uh, when we got married, I didn't like Christians. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to go into church. Uh, Karen wanted us to go to church. I didn't want to go to church because I just didn't like Christians and I, I didn't want to be around them, but we started going to church. I, I told Karen, I said, okay, we'll go to church. And we met some great friends in church, but I still smoked. I still smoked. And I, and I just, I felt so self-conscious because I felt like I was the least spiritual person in our church. And we, we went to church. This is one of these issues, you know, it was like, we go to church one time and Karen signs us up for a discipleship class. And she says, we, I want us to go to this discipleship class. And I said, Karen, you know, it's a small group. I could hide in a big group, but in small groups, I knew that people would find out how messed up I was, and, you know, and I didn't want that. And uh, so we go to this, this discipleship group. We walk in, and the leader of the group, there's 13 people in the group. The leader of the group says, uh, well, we need a worship leader. Does anybody play the guitar? And Karen says, he plays the guitar. He'll lead worship. I think you want to hear the Rolling Stones? Is that what you people worship too? Because I worship, never played it in my life. I, I was struggling with stopping smoking at that point in time. I was about 25 years old and I was trying to stop smoking and I just felt very, very self-conscious in that group. Well, let me say this. We counseled a couple that they, they were with bad friends and they were doing bad things. And, and they said, uh, to us, to Karen and me, as we were counseling them, I said, you've got to go to church. I just don't think people, you can't make it without church. You, you need Christian friends. And churches are not perfect and Christians are not perfect, but I just think they're the best group of people on earth. And they make the best friends on earth. I'm telling you that right now, because I've completely changed my opinion about Christians, is that we, uh, we went into this group and it transformed our lives. I mean, that experience, but we were counseling this other couple and they smoked and they said, we feel self-conscious going to church because we smoke. And I said, don't, they don't, 
they won't look down upon you for that. I said, you may feel self-conscious, but listen, they'll love you anyway for that. That's not, that's not the unforgivable you know, sin or problem like that. You, you go ahead and go in there if you smoke. And they said, no, we feel self-conscious. So what they did was they put friends around them that made them feel good about themselves, that smoked and drank and did all the things that they did and run around and doing all those kind of things. Well, it's a bad ending because they, they ended up divorcing and it was, just, it was just a really ugly ending and I've seen that many times. I'm so thankful that Karen, she, she helped me to get out of my comfort zone. And by being around, by the way, when we got into that discipleship group, you know, what we found out is everybody was like us. Nobody's perfect. You know, we all have issues. And uh, don't think that other Christians don't have issues. We all have issues. But let me say this, is the church is not a place where people don't have issues. Church is a place where we're all dealing with our issues. And we've decided to let Jesus deal with our issues. And that's the commonality of church, and everyone needs to be a part of church. You're going to be like your friends. I want a group of friends that encourage me to do the right thing. I don't want a group of friends around me that when I'm struggling in my marriage want me to go to happy hour strip bars with them and encourage me to divorce. I want friends that when I'm going through marriage problems will tell me I'm the problem and encourage me to go to church with them and work on my issues. My friends, if I started complaining about Karen's, my friend would beat me up. They like Karen better than me anyway. But when you have bad friends and negative influences, they're going to influence your marriage in a bad way. Bad company corrupts good morals. And there's one other thing that causes destructive behavior, and that's defensiveness. Uh, John Gottman, University of Washington, they have four predictors of divorce. They can predict divorce with a 93% accuracy. And one of the predictors of divorce is defensiveness. Not allowing your, your spouse the right to complain. Being defensive when someone's trying to tell you something about yourself. And defensiveness means I will not allow my spouse the ability to process problems. I, I would not let, when Karen and I first got married, I didn't want her, and by the way, she wouldn't let me complain either because she had so, such low self-esteem that if I told her that there was something wrong with breakfast, all she heard was she was a horrible person. Is I, I wasn't saying she was a horrible person, I'm just saying, you burn the biscuits. That's all I'm saying, Karen. Take them out quicker next time. Oh, well, you hate me and I'm, you know, God can't love me and I'm ugly and fat. Well, okay. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Okay. So, but I was also very defensive. And so, listen, when you won't let your spouse complain, the problems don't go away, they accumulate. Okay. Defensiveness also means I will not validate your concerns. And validation, sometimes if I don't agree, at least I can validate and say, I understand that you're upset. And I understand that that's, that's bothering you, what I'm doing. And just the validation. But defensiveness means I won't even validate it. It means I won't even entertain the possibility that I could be problems, have, that I'm the problem. In fact, what defensiveness says is you're the problem. But the reason I'm not letting you complain is because you're actually the problem. But defensiveness also means I'm emotionally weak. If, if a person who's emotionally healthy can listen to anything, doesn't mean I agree. doesn't mean I'm going to lay down and play dead. But it just means say what you have to say and I'll process it. And I'll let you process it. Every functional family talks. Functional families talk. Dysfunctional families don't talk. And dysfunctional families are silence and secrets. And we just don't talk. We just don't process things. But in functional families, say what you want to say. Defensiveness destroys intimacy and feelings of goodwill. It inhibits honesty and the ability to share openly, and it locks problems into our relationship. Here are the four main destructive behaviors in marriage. Okay, number one is criticism. Criticism 
Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And by the way, the next verse says, he who finds a good wife, or he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. There's a lot of reasons that we can become critical, but they're all devastating. And there are certain rules that we can use in our marriage. And first of all, it's the 10 to one rule. And that is for every time I say anything negative, I'm gonna say 10 things positive. And if I hadn't said 10 things positive, I haven't, heard, I haven't earned the right to complain. Okay, and I'm not talking about being critical. I'm just saying even complaining. You need to praise a lot more than you criticize. And if you don't, it's gonna devastate the marriage. The second thing is this, and this is a huge issue. And that is, I take responsibility to build your self-esteem. I take responsibility to build my wife's self-esteem. And Karen takes responsibility to build mine. And by that, I mean this. Not only am I not gonna be your critic, I'm gonna be your biggest fan. It doesn't mean that I won't tell you if something's wrong. But there's a difference between criticizing and complaining. Criticizing means I'm pointing the finger at you and this is all about you. Complaining means just means I'm telling you how I feel. You can tell your spouse how you feel without being critical. It, I say to Karen, you know, Karen, I don't know what you meant by that, but let me tell you how it made me feel. I'm not attacking her. I'm just saying, I don't know what you meant by that. I, I'm not saying you're a bad person or you intended to hurt me. But when you said that the other day, this is the way it made me feel. When I, when I complain in that way, because it's about me, it's not about you. When I say it that way, she can hear it, everything's fine, and we go on. When I don't say it that way, when I say it with a, a more critical, accusatory tone, she immediately becomes on the defensive. And so I take responsibility to build your self-esteem, and if I'm going to complain to you, it means I've already earned the right to do that because I'm a lot more positive than I would ever be negative in our relationship. So that's the destructive behavior. The second is control and dominance. And I've already talked about this when I talked about the law of possession, but control and dominance, that means there's a disproportionate control of the relationship. Marriage is equal. All of your decisions you make together. That's, that's just a, an ethic in marriage. No one controls the money. No one controls the children. No one controls the home. No one controls the, the schedule. Every decision we make, we make together. And if you're naturally more of a, of a, you know, a dominant person, a cleric person, you've got to sit down. And if you're more of a naturally passive person, you have to stand up. But where there's dominance in a relationship, and there's many dominant men as there are women, it's an equal issue. When, when you have dominance in a relationship, it's always destructive. Now, let, let me say this, because I, I do this little poll when I do seminars. How many of you, now if, by the way, if you're with your parents, don't answer this question. It, uh, how many of you were raised in a home where one of your parents was clearly dominant over the other parent? Raise your hand if you would. Watch the hands go up. Watch, look around. Look around. Okay. Look how many hands are up. Put them down. How many of you believe that had a negative influence upon you and your family? Raise your hands if you would. Look at the hands go up. Look at the hands go up. Okay, go ahead and put your hands down. Your children will be in one of my seminars one day, and I'm going to ask them that question. <laughs> and Dominance is destructive. There's a person being disrespected. There's a person being controlled. You can never be intimate with a dominant person. I was dominant in our relationship. I had to sit down. I had to just make a decision. I'm not going to overcome Karen. Just the force of my personality. I can, I can dominate. And just the intimidation. You're going to pay a price. If you cross me, you're going to pay a price. In everything that I do today, Karen is my equal. I will not act without her, period. I will not. I will not leave her behind. And she will not leave me behind. Everything we do, we do together. Everything we do, we're in agreement on before we do it. 
And that is where intimacy and goodwill comes from because we share our relationship and share our marriage. But where there's dominance, there's gonna be destructiveness. Number three, destructive behavior is checking out. And that's just emotional abandonment. In Hebrews 13, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And leave means physically leave, but forsake means turn your heart away. You can turn your heart away from a person you're sitting right next to because of hurt, because of disappointment, because of busyness or stress or temptation. You can literally emotionally check out of your marriage and all adultery is preceded by emotional abandonment. All adultery is. Is long before I had the adultery, I turned my heart away from you. And the commitment here is simply, it's, it's destructive. You know that person's checked out. You can tell by the look on their face. They're just, you're just checked out. I don't know where you are, but you're not here. You're with somebody else doing something else. And God says, not only will I never physically leave you, I'll never turn my heart away. I will never emotionally, in all of eternity, our God will never emotionally abandon us. But let me tell you, he's had some good reasons too. Did you know that? We've broken his heart a thousand times. But God, God made a decision. And let me say, God says that right up front. God says right up front in our relationship, I will never, you can do anything you want to do, I will never check out on you. Through disappointment, through pain, through hurt, through unmet needs, through whatever, I'm going to fight for this relationship and I'm not going to turn my heart away. That, I checked out on Karen. I was not home. Uh, in fact, there, there were times, this, this, I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, there were times I'd be sitting at our dinner table so checked out and I would wake up and my family would be standing staring at me going, Dad, Dad. And I was just at work. I was a million miles away dealing with other problems and I was checked out. And it, it affected our children. This is when they were young and I was young in ministry and it affected our kids. And thank God that you know, God healed me and I, I changed and came back. But when you check out on a relationship, it causes damage. And the first is cruelty and abuse. We all suffer because of each other in marriage and suffering is one thing, but the other is where it becomes abusive physically, mentally, emotionally, verbally. And uh, for whatever reason, a person becomes abusive. And I just want to say this very clearly. Don't stay in an abusive relationship. Abuse means damage. It means that the grace is not there. And either mentally or verbally or physically, you're, you're being abused in a certain manner that is, uh, is damaging you. And you need to tell your spouse, I won't, I won't put up with this is you have to change your behavior or I'm gonna leave. I'm not saying you divorce, but I'm saying you find a safe place to be where you and maybe your children are not being damaged and you're not under that influence. And from that safe place, maybe your spouse has to leave, but from that safe place, you appeal to your spouse and say, I love you, but you have to go get help. You're gonna to have to learn to deal with your issues in a constructive manner. And if you get help and when you get help, we'll start talking about restoring our relationship because I love you and I'm committed to our relationship, but I'm not going to be your whipping post. I'm not going to let you use me to ventilate your anger in a wrong way for whatever reason that you, you have that anger and make them get help and accountability. There has to be a person before you come back into the relationship. There has to be real change and there has to be a person that they're accountable to, not you, a person that they're accountable to. And I said this in a previous session, the first time you're a victim, the second time you're a volunteer. And if you let somebody uh, abuse you, it only gets worse. And you have to stand up to that. But that's another type, obviously, of destructive behavior. And it can be a woman or a man. And I know, I know little women who hit their husbands when they get mad. And they become physically violent. But it, obviously, more times than um, most, it, it, is a, uh, it is a man doing it. But you have to stand up to that. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage. And I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. 
We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.